Period pictures, particularly period pictures about childhood, are almost inevitably nostalgic. And like all nostalgia, such films circle around one thing. Loss. Louis Malle's Au Revoir les Enfants is not nostalgic in any way, yet is also about loss, albeit loss of a very different kind. Honoured with the Golden Lion at the 1987 Venice Film Festival, Malle's film recounted with complex ease an obscene event from his childhood that would mark him for the rest of his life. Mal was born in 1932 in Tumabie, northern France, some 75 miles from the border with Belgium. Which means that from the tender age of eight, Mal lived under the Nazi occupation. One of eight children in a wealthy Catholic family, the majority of Mal's education came in the Petit Collège d'Avant, a Carmelite boarding school near Fontainebleau. And it was there that Mal witnessed an event of such magnitude it would take him over 40 years to commit it to celluloid. Here he is in 1991, being interviewed by Philip French for Channel 4. I thought it was the time had come for me. I didn't think in terms of it was the right time historically to, to do it, because on the contrary, I, I was under the impression that there was like an overdose of films about the occupation and the Holocaust. and the, I was scared of it. I, I knew it was the one film that I wanted to do right. I didn't want to miss it, I didn't, I didn't want to screw it. I really wanted to do it right. And I waited, uh, what, 20 some years. Mal's story is one of quiet devastation. Julien Quentin, played by Gaspard Nanès, is a somewhat gifted student attending a boarding school in northern France. One day, three new boys, Jean Bonnet, Maurice Negus and Jacques Dupré, are admitted to the school. It soon becomes apparent that Jean Bonnet, played by Raphael Fedjo, is just as gifted as a student, if not more gifted, than Julien. Not only is he gifted at geometry, he also has a flair for composition, as well as music. Then, one night in the dormitory, Julien awakens to see Jeanne, standing by his bed with two candles lit, reciting a prayer. Julien is confused, and a few days later, he searches through Jeanne's locker and finds a ledger in which he discovers that Jeanne Bonnet is in actual fact Jeanne Kepelstein. Jeanne is Jewish, and he and the two other boys are being sheltered by the priests. Mal tells the story in an unsentimental manner, knowing that a subject is already emotive enough without the need for embellishment. Definitely for me, uh, the most difficult moments, and I remember after the first take, I was not even aware of it, but uh, I was crying I, I, because the memory was uh, so alive. It's uh, the scene when the, the man from the Gestapo enters the classroom. Dr. Müller, Gestapo Müller. It was very, very close to the way I had lived it. It's one of the scenes where I almost didn't change anything. By which Mal claims he didn't alter the facts or add them. However, that is not to say that Mal's recounting of the events does not depart from the truth. To begin, Jean Bonnet's real name was not Jean Kepelstein, but Hans Helmut Michel. Which may prompt you to ask, if Mal was intent on bearing witness to a terrible historical truth, why would he change the victim's name? Mal's reasoning, perfectly plausible, 
is that Hans's real surname, Michel, sounded too classically French for his real identity to come as a shock. And that is not the only departure the film takes. Mal embroidered a sequence where Julien's mother, played by Francine Cassette, brings Julien and Jean to a restaurant where they see an elderly Jewish man being harassed by the French authorities. Such an event did not occur in Mal's time at the school. Yes, his mother did come to visit and take him out to restaurants, but Mal did not witness that abuse. He only heard it from a schoolmate. Likewise, Mal only learned of Hans's identity by way of the older boys in the school. And similarly, Mal never spoke with Hans of his parents, nor do they ever discuss how Hans felt as a Jewish boy being sheltered from the Nazis. Instead, the two boys developed their friendship around books and music. In 1956, at the age of just 24, Mal won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, as well as an Academy Award for his very first feature film, The Silent World, a documentary which he made with oceanographer Jacques Cousteau. Two years later, Mal delivered the classic thriller Lift the Scaffold. Which means that by the time the Nouvelle Vague emerged in 1959, Mal was already established as a central figure in French cinema. Which also means that he was never really part of the group of filmmakers Truffaut, Godard, Chabrol, Romé and Rivette, who helped redefine and expand film language. But that does not mean that Mal was completely separate from what was going on in French cinema. As we already heard Mal observe, there had been several films addressing the occupation and it was within that climate that Au Revoir les Enfants was made. For more than two decades after the war, French filmmakers had been grappling with bringing into sharp focus the role France had played in the Holocaust. Undoubtedly, the events of the war, the occupation, the collaboration and the resistance were enormously traumatic for the country, with communities, neighbours and even families taking different sides, and sometimes with individuals switching sides. Initially, Marshal Patin was seen as a man who would protect France against the Nazi invaders, but soon many people regarded him as a traitor who yielded to Hitler's whim. While yet other people claimed that France had been defeated because of an inherent weakness in the national character, a weakness brought about by foreign influences, namely Jewish people, almost all of whom were French by birth. Which meant that when France was liberated and the horrors of the death camps were revealed, the country had to reshape its war record. Hence there emerged the story that all of France had resisted the Nazis. That story remained the dominant one for over two decades, and it wasn't until the late 1960s that it began to be exposed as a lie. Which accounts for Jean-Pierre Melville's Army of Shadows, Marcel Offal's The Sorrow and the Pity, both from 1969, and from 1974, Mal's La Lucienne. Here is Dr. Martin Hercombe, reader of French studies in University of Bristol, discussing the film in 2015. With that collapse of this dominant narrative of France having resisted, is that a range of different memories start to emerge in, uh, in French culture, suppressed memories start to emerge, particularly the memories of individuals and groups who don't fit this dominant narrative. 
And what we find in the, in the 1980s is that it's the, the memory of France's role in the Holocaust which begins to emerge. So very much the 1970s is concerned with French collaboration, with Pétanisme and Vichy France. And then in the 1980s, we start to see an interest in, in the extent of the Holocaust in France and the, the impact of the Holocaust on France's Jewish population. While Mal's film goes nowhere near the death camps, he refers to the Holocaust in subtle ways. He doesn't have to be explicit. The historical backdrop does that work for him. Instead, he opts for a naturalism that is nonetheless loaded with allegory and incorporates everyday behaviour, events and figures of speech, all of which the war gives a second meaning. Consider how the film opens. A young boy is bidding tearful farewell to his mother at a train station. She is sending him away to safety from the war. Seeing his upset, she gushes that only if she could disguise herself as a schoolboy she would come with him. He then leaves and the train carries him through the countryside. Even before Jeanne arrives at the school, we witness the other boys systematically bullying the kitchen hand, Joseph, played by François Nogret. They do so because, as boarders, they feel Joseph is socially inferior to them. And because he suffers from a pronounced limp, they assume themselves physically superior to him also. And yet they engage with Joseph in black market trading. That is, until Joseph is accused of stealing and he identifies seven students as collaborators. Then there is the evening Père Jean, played by Philippe Moret Garneau, arranges a special screening of Charlie Chaplin's comedy The Immigrant. Made in 1917, while war was raging in Europe, it shows people on a boat trying to get to safety in America. Earlier, Julien had declared with utter disbelief that he's the only boy in the school who thinks about death. And finally, in perhaps the most explicit example of all, the priests organise a treasure hunt. Julien and Jeanne are lost and find themselves alone and wandering the country roads at night, only to be found and rescued by a Nazi patrol. Here is one of Mal's brothers, Vincent, recalling how Louis wrote the script and his first impression upon reading it. I remember you went off to, uh, to his house in, in, uh, in the southwest and he wrote it in three weeks. And then I remember he came back to Paris and uh, he read it to us. I mean, I knew the story, but the intricacy of, of the relationship between the <coughs> French bourgeois Catholic boy and the little Jewish boy uh, is extraordinary. The obscene event took place on the morning of January the 15th, 1944, when the Gestapo swooped on the school and took the Jewish boys away. Bonnet, Negus et Dupré sont morts à Auschwitz. Bonnet, Negus and Dupré all died at Auschwitz. Le Père Jean au camp de Mauthausen. Father Jean died in the camp at Mauthausen. Le collège a rouvert ses portes en octobre 1944. The school reopened its doors in October 1944. Plus de 40 ans ont passé, mais jusqu'à ma mort, je me rappellerai chaque seconde de ce matin de janvier. More than 40 years have passed, but I shall remember every second of that January morning until the day I die. Historically, the two other boys' real names were David Schlosser and Jacques Alpern. This is no criticism of Mal, his memory, or the memory of his friend, or the two other boys. But more truthfully, neither Hans Michel, David Schlosser, nor Jacques Alpern died at Auschwitz. No one died at Auschwitz, or Belzec, Chelmno, Maginek, Mali Trostinets, Sobibor, or Treblinka. People were murdered by the millions, gassed, tortured, shot, strangled, hanged. 
However, other victims may have perished through malnutrition, disease, the cold or exhaustion. But their deaths were intended and delivered, which is murder. What strikes me any time I watch Mal's film is not what is said at the end, but what is not said. Pierre Jean, whose real name at the school was Pierre Jacques, but who was born Lucien Bunel, is lined up by the Gestapo with the three Jewish boys. They are marched out and Pierre Jean bids farewell to the boarders. The boarders bid farewell in return, and in doing so they all but ignore the departure of Bonnet, Negus and Dupré. It is as if the boarders do not see them. Of course, Julien does, and as Jeanne is the last to leave, he stops at the door and looks back. Julien waves and we see the Nazi soldier grabbing Jeanne and pulling him through the door and off to the waiting truck. Mal allows the camera to linger a moment, the empty door now signifying the gateway that stood as the entrance to death for millions of people. And then Mal cuts back to Julien and we focus our attention on his suffering. Suffering because of a sense of guilt. It was Julien's look that inadvertently betrayed his friend. And so Julien is now a witness to the deportation. But he and all the other boys stood by, doing nothing. Their inaction represents France's, Europe's, humankind's inaction. The moment is handled very powerfully and very responsibly, but never fails to put me in mind of another Holocaust story. This one, completely fictionalised, the boy in the striped pyjamas. Moving? Where to? To the countryside. That's miles away. What about Carl and Leon and Martin? Sweetheart, I know it's hard, but we're all having to say goodbye to our friends for the time being. Anyway, we'll make new ones where we're going, won't we? Of course you will. You make lots of new friends. Bruno, you can have your friends around in the morning before we go. Think of it as an adventure, like in one of your books. But this is the best house ever. Oh, you never know. The house we're going to might be even better. Dad says it's got a garden. Mm -hmm. John Boyne's novel, published in 2006 and adapted to the screen two years later, ends with Shmuel, a nine-year-old Jewish boy at Auschwitz, giving a striped uniform to his friend Bruno, who happens to be the son of the camp's commandant. Taken now for a prisoner, Bruno is then led away to the gas chambers. When his parents discover their son is missing, a frantic search takes place, and through this melodramatic contrivance, readers and viewers are manipulated into focusing solely on the rescue of this one child, as if all the other people condemned to death do not matter. Now, it is argued that Boyne's novel is a fable, but a fable is a story that is supposed to teach a moral lesson. So what moral lesson is Boyne trying to impart? At the start of his story, when he reveals Bruno's parents are Nazis, we hold them in contempt. But by the end, Boyne encourages us to view them as victims. Victims to a murderous machine, which they themselves have only been too happy to inflict upon other people. Hans Michel was born in Frankfurt, Germany on June the 6th, 1930. When Hitler came to power in 1933, Hans's father took his own life. Knowing Germany was not safe, Hans's mother took him and his sister Laurie to Paris. They lived there in comparative safety, but great fear, until July the 16th, 1942, when the French authorities rounded up all known Jewish people in Paris 
and arrange for their deportation to the death camps. Miraculously, a guard took pity on Hans and allowed him to escape. Somehow, he made his way through the city to the saint Sulpice church on Paris's left bank. There, he revealed his suffering to a Father Devaux. Father Devaux brought him to nuns in the convent at Notre-Dame-de-Zion, which was then at the centre of an escape network for Jewish children. From there, Hans was delivered to the Petit Collège d'Avon boarding school. Along with David and Jacques, Hans was protected there until they were betrayed in January 1944. Put aboard convoy number 67 in Drancy, they arrived in Auschwitz on February the 3rd, and three days later they were murdered. Père Jacques, who had been sent to Mauthausen-Gusen labour camp, died from exhaustion one week after being freed from captivity. Hans's mother was murdered at Auschwitz, leaving his sister Laurie, the only member of the family, to survive the Holocaust. <laughs>